Hello, uh, welcome to episode three of the Chatting Ball podcast. I'm your host, Max Mishcon. Uh, if you listen to the first two episodes with John McKenzie and Johnny Sharples, I hope you enjoyed them a lot. Uh, be sure to review, share, uh, all that good stuff. Today, I've got a very special guest. Um, I think he's a, a pioneer in his own specific field, I'd definitely say. It's freelance throwing coach Thomas Grenamark. How are you, Thomas? I'm fine, Max. How about you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, excited to get started. Uh, so this is a this is a football podcast. We we try and dip into different niches. Um, but I always I always start off asking what what was the first point uh, where you knew you loved football? Was it watching a game, playing on the street with your mates? Uh, when when did that love for football start, and how how did it blossom? Yeah, I, th- I think I just like start playing in school, like like in 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 the first grade, like as a five year old or six year old or something like that, and and yeah, it was just fun to play with your mates, and so so I think I like many other boys and girls around the world. I, I fell in love with uh, with football, so I just thought it was pretty cool to <laughs> to play with your mates, passing that ball and scoring those goals, and so so and of course played a lot in the schoolyard, so. So, so my love for football was coming uh, already into my blood from a very young age. Did you did you support a team growing up, a Danish team or a Premier League team? Did you have any favorite players as well? No, I, I didn't have any like like from at least not from the start favorite players or so. But when I then I when I got older and so you know as a teenager, I think my. One of the the biggest players for me was uh, Michael Laudrup. I'm coming from Denmark, so he's yeah. Many of you probably mm. know him, but he's been playing both for, of course, the national team in Denmark, but also Real Madrid and Barcelona. So um, fantastic player. And then I really looked up to my two big cousins, Bent and Johnny, um, because first of all they played football themselves, but they had also like a really long throw in. So and they were like these like eight, 10, 12 years older than me. So so every time they took a long throw in, I just thought, hey, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, so I also fell in love with the throw-ins from a, a very early age. Yeah, that's I think that brings us nicely to to my next question. Um, you know, you're a you're a throwing specialist, a throwing coach, working with different clubs and most famously most famously, sorry, uh, working with Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp with you know with great success can you walk us through the the very beginning you say watching your cousins doing a long throw and and being in awe how did that how did that develop and how did you make a living out of it yeah it's it's actually quite a quite a long story and I'll try to make it short I also do a lot of motivational talks around the subjects and so but again I I I played football myself and I actually reached a pretty high level as a teenager I played in the highest Danish U19 league. And, and for example, I, I played many times against uh, Thomas Graveson, who perhaps many know who played for, for example, Celtic and, and Real Madrid later. Um, but I wasn't good enough to be a professional football player. I had a, a like really gigantic long throw in, and then I was sliding fast. You know, I've never been losing a, a running duel in football, no matter if it was 10 meters or 50 meters. So, so I realized I couldn't be a professional football player. Either my technique wasn't good enough, or I, uh, I played perhaps the, the wrong position there. Um, but, but in the mid '90s, I changed sport, and then I went to athletics. And, and already the first year I was training, I came under the Danish 
national team. I was running 100, 200, 400 meters in relays and wow, six great years in athletics, you know, been several times Danish champion, also won the European champion in, championship in the 4 by 400 meter relay in 2000 together with my teammates from Aarhus Nittenhuna. That was the European championship for clubs. So ran the last leg there. So had pretty successful six years in athletics. But then in 2002, I changed sport again, not because, you know, I, I was being bad at athletics. Actually, I've never been better in 2002 with personal records on 102 meters. But I moved to the western part of Denmark because I met my wife. And and sometimes when you when you meet a a woman, you know, you, you do crazy things. So I moved away from, from, from the place where I usually trained. And suddenly I was training alone. So even though my wrestles were good, yeah, I, I knew I had to change sport to keep my motivation because I missed my missed the team sport sport I had from from football but also the the, the relay team there so I changed sport to uh, bobsleighing so in 2002 I came on the Danish national bobsleigh team and I was I was traveling all around the world with my bobsleigh team um, all around Europe Canada the states so it was fantastic four years and and it was actually in the middle of that bobsleigh period in 2004 uh, where I got the idea about being a throwing coach. We were playing um, like a warm-up game before the, the bobsleigh training, uh, physical training, uh, against the German uh, bobsleigh team. And the reason why we played against them was because we had a cooperation with the German uh, bobsleigh federation. So we played on like a traditional indoor meter pitch, uh, 40 meters uh, in this warm-up football game. And then suddenly we had a throw in in, in, in in our end of the pitch, and then it just threw all the way down to to the other goal. And 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 even though all the players, or sorry, all the athletes there were, were great athletes themselves, they couldn't believe that I could throw so far. And then I said, "Hey, I had a good throw in when I was playing football myself." And then suddenly I got an idea: if I can make a good throw in myself, can't I teach uh, other players to do it? So I talked with my bob, bobsleigh mates, and we were really innovative on on that bobsleigh team there and 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 they really supported me in in my idea and so so when i came back from that bobsleigh uh trip uh i came back to denmark there i thought hey i think i have to go down to the library and find that book about throw-ins but there were no books at all and nothing serious on the internet so i used approximately six months to to make a throwing course and in the start it was only the it was only long throw-ins in the start so so, and after six months, I've made my course uh, and I could have been starting with a youth or amateur team, but but I had the courage to ask a local Superliga team from Denmark called Vibor. And that was in, in October th- 2004. So, yeah, the head coach called Uwe Christensen, he, he said, yes, I started with my very first job as a throwing coach with a professional team. They improved their throw-ins a lot, scored a lot of goals on long throw-ins and yeah, so, and since then, uh, I've been coaching a lot of clubs. And, and yeah, the first two seasons, it was only the long throw-in. But but then in in 2004, I started working on my, what I call uh, the long, fast, and clever throw-in philosophy. Mm. And do you want to give us a, a brief overview of what of what that entails, that philosophy? Yeah, again, like, like I said before, the first couple of seasons, it was only the long throw-in, and I still coach that. And... And most of my players, uh, when I'm coaching them in a period with technical training, most of my players are improving between five and 15 meters, only with a better throw-in technique. So I can create world 
class throw-in takers. I also, of course, do the tactical things around the long throw-ins. For example, in I had four years in FC Midtjylland where we scored 35 goals on long throw-ins, so approximately wow. uh, nine goals per season. I had a season in AC Horsens where we scored 10 goals that season in the Danish Super League. But but um, I, I have much more focus on what I call the fast and the clever throw-ins. And, and then just, again, to say it short, is the, um, the fast throw-ins is, first of all, to throw the ball fast, react fast when we have a throw-in, and also know uh, when not to throw fast because it's really important. People, a lot of people think, oh, it's about throwing it fast all the time, but uh, but actually one of the worst things you can do is throw it fast into a pressure zone. So that's I'm learning players when to throw fast, how to throw fast, and when not to do it. Then the other part of the fast throw-ins that's defending fast when your opponents have a throw-in with organization and pressure and so on. And then the last part of the fast throw-ins that's counterattack throw-ins. You can't use it every time, but but you can't be offside on a throw-in. So that can once in a while mm. be a good counter-attack weapon. And then we have the clever throw-ins. That's to cook it down. It's it's about how can we as a team create space all around the pitch. So I'm learning the players how to create space together. Most teams are not moving or only moving a little bit, or also some teams are only doing individual space creation. So it's the individual player who just runs back and forth, back and forth to try to get the ball instead of creating space together with the teammates. So I'm, I'm learning players how to make team space creation. I'm also using a thing called individual throw-in superpowers. I'm, I'm like using the individual strengths of each player to like like utilize that on the match. And then I'm also working with, with what I call the, the three tactical throw-in zones with different solutions there and there and there. And, and then it's really important for me to say that at it's not like a playbook in American football where we have three solutions in each. So no, I'm 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 working with, of course, 50 basic um, throw-in solutions, but I'm working with the players throwing intelligence. So so they're using their own fantasy and imagination, creativity to to, to take um, you know the best solutions. So in theory, my teams, for example, Liverpool, um, they have thousands of options, and that's much harder. To, to mark uh, compared to a playbook. So, so and then on top of that, I'm also doing video analysis. Um, the last four seasons, I've been analyzing all games from Liverpool FC with the throwings, sending a report back to Jurgen Klopp and the other coaches. So, but again, it's it's really different from club to club, um, how much I'm there, how much analysis I do. And, and again, it's even though Liverpool is the most famed club of mine, I'm coaching, I'm coaching eight to ten uh, professional clubs per season. So I've done that the last four seasons here. And for example, in wow. in um, in this season, I've been a couple of times to Mexico, two times to Italy, two times to France, Austria, and and I'm going to the States here in 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 the near future, and so and and Portugal, and so 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 I'm traveling all around the world with uh, my long, fast, and clever throwing philosophy. That is very cool. Um... I want to I want to touch back on something you said about throwing intelligence. Have you found there's a uh, a difference between football intelligence i.e. uh for example a player like Alexander Arnold who has an eye for a pass uh you know two or three passes before the ball gets to him he knows Robertson is free and so he can bang first time out. Do you find players like players like that their their football intelligence and the ball at their feet or in the air using their head 
does that translate into throwing intelligence or do you have some players that uh, their skill set is more to do with, with throw-ins? I think if you already have that intelligence, you know, in in other parts of the, the football sport, then it's it's probably a little bit easier to develop a good uh, throw-in intelligence. But I'll also say that, you know, all the Liverpool players, like my other teams, have, have learned these things from scratch because football players are not used to doing throwing coaching and if they do it's it's either <laughs> the wrong kind of throwing coaching or only a little bit so so i'll say my, you can develop that throwing intelligence that awareness awareness of space creation awareness of when to throw uh, awareness of of um, having patience taking the right decisions that's also the reason why i'm coaching all the players on the pitch it's not only the throwers some people think oh it's only the throwers no i'm, I'm coaching all the players on, on the team and, and you you can you can easily learn it. Of course it's not easy. It's not like you learn it in, 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 in two days, but but it's you know again let's take Liverpool. A lot of the players there have really developed a really, really high level of throwing intelligence. For example, with the team space creation. It's really clear for me that when there's a new player coming in, of course like any other playing style just takes uh, weeks or some months and then that player has the same top level so i think it's you can learn it uh, no matter who you are but of course with any other skills not only in football but in the world there are some players who are better at it than than others but but no matter what you come from you can you can take it up to a, a really high level with the throwing intelligence mm. so when you when you come into liverpool Obviously, you were you were coaching throw-ins in the Danish Super League over ten years before that. But you come into Liverpool, and I remember the news when it broke out, and there was a lot of scepticism. Um, it seemed some people were praising Liverpool for hiring you, saying it was innovative, and this is you know a set a set piece routine that can win you win you games essentially. But there was also a lot of scepticism from the media. Um, how do how do you how do you respond to that to people that say in the football world at least that uh, there's no need for your job or it's pointless or it doesn't really matter and you know what what can a throw in really do what do you what do you say to the people that say that I say first of all I think the amount of skepticism wasn't that big but it's just like there were some people who were really like like you know skeptic like Andy Gray or later Steve Nichols. So, but the funny thing is that if you go 30, 30 years back, we, we only had knowledge from, from the newspapers and television. And it was hard for people like to get new knowledge on, unless you bought a book about the subject. And that was also a long book to read. And so, but right now, you know, a lot of fans, they, a lot of the fans know more than the, than the pundits in television, you know, and it's because knowledge mm-hmm. is easy to get now. So the reaction from, from uh, from a lot of fans, for example, when when Andy Gray tried to uh, ridicule me, uh, was that 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 um, he was like a, a dinosaur or a living forty years back in football. And so, so so yeah, you know, for me, for me, it was no problem, you know. Um, and it's also I I've all for many many years I've known that I could make a really big difference in in football because the the level of throw-ins all around the pitch were was so bad. I like compare a little bit with with let let's just an, imagine a, a a brand new modern car. Um, you know everything is perfect, the motor, the look, the design, but it's 
let's just say it's riding on, on wooden wheels like we did, you know, 300 years ago. <laughs> and then you are having like the, the top modern, you, you invented the top modern rubber wheel like we have now. And then you go, go to people and say, it's much better to ride on this rubber wheel. If then there is some guy who's coming and saying to you, no, the wooden wheel, that's much better. You know, when you have all that knowledge, you have all that, you know, experience like I, I have, then you, you can only, I won't say laugh about people who are creating on that way, but I'll just say that it, it's nothing that, 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 that stops me at all. So, so I think I don't, I don't mind if, if people are like, like critical in a, what I say, I call it ugly criticism, where people are going after you as a person only to get likes, a little bit like Andy Gray did or, or you know, Steve Nicholson. So then, then it do doesn't bother me at all. But it's also really important for me to say that I think in society, there's a little bit like, of course, it's not every person, but in society, there's a little bit like either you love me or if you don't love me, then you're a hater. And I think it's totally mm. wrong because one of the best things we have in society is criticism. First of all, I, I have a thing I call, um, you know, good criticism. And that's when, when people are just saying to me, hey, couldn't we do it in another way? Or And, and that could be players, it could be coaches. It could also be a security guard I'm talking with on the pitch who is asking a question. Um, and, and sometimes I explain it should be that way because of that. But sometimes I also think, hey, why not? Perhaps he's right and, and then try to do it. And, and I've done that many times because even though I'm probably the guy who knows most about throw-ins, I'm not like, I know everything, you know? So we have a, a lot of uh, good criticism and we have to keep on taking that. Then what we have also have that, what I call bad criticism. And a lot of people, I think, are afraid of bad criticism when, when people are question, questioning you. But I also have... Um, I also think if they're doing it uh, in, in a like uh, you know positive way or good way, okay way, then it's fantastic. Some, for example, um, some people have said to me in several occasions, "Oh, throw-ins that doesn't matter at all. It's only marginal gains. Why do you even bother to be a throwing coach? Or why do clubs hire you?" And and instead of being angry and saying, "Oh, that's haters," I'm 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 for example saying to them, "Hey, did you know that that there are normally 40 to 60 throw-ins in a match. Most teams lose the ball in more than 50% of the occasions when they have a throw-in under pressure where the players are marked. And when I give them that like knowledge they, that they perhaps didn't have before, then instead of like just calling them a hater because they are, are giving me questions, then, um, then they're suddenly perhaps giving me some kind of other knowledge or, you know, I can learn from that that person. So, so, so because people are... Um, are giving you some kind of criticism I don't think it's it's a problem unless it's like really ugly and personal and if it's that way I just brush it off my, my shoulders but but we have so much good criticism and, and I wish that that we could be even better in society to to make you know like really constructive and, and um, good criticism because we, we we learn so much from that so um, yeah I think that's a really that's a really potent point um, but like you said, I, I wouldn't take anything that Andy Gray says seriously, um, given some of the comments he's made in the past. But when you, I think your your point on good and bad criticism is is quite interesting. But I think with the with the media outlets Steve Nichols and Andy Gray are, are working for, I think they're just in it for the the clips, the headlines. I don't really think those media corporations are out there to you know give constructive criticism or. Uh, 
any anything positive in that sense. Um, but I want to I want to now touch on uh, your the long part of uh, the long fast long fast and clever throw, uh, and I want to want to just read um, a tweet out by an analyst called Thiago Esteval. He said. Brentford average 0.95 shots per 90 from throw-ins. Every other Premier League team, every other Premier League team combined, 1.09, so it's slightly more. Uh, and Brentford averaged the same amount of expected goals per 90 from throw-ins as every other Premier League team combined. In this day and age, a team effectively going into every game with a weapon that no one else uses is insane. I want to ask you, Thomas, why don't we see long throw-ins uh, being used more? Uh, by Premier League clubs, by clubs around Europe, is this a case of Brentford having a, a unique um, physical and technical profile in that they have a very tall physical players and Ivan Tony, Pontus Janssen to utilise from throw-ins, and they have a set t- uh, set piece taker like Madsbeck Sorensen to use, or is it a case of people being ignorant and blind to the fact that it's a weapon that can create a lot of chances? I'll say there are several things to this question here, so I'll try uh, from the start here. First of all, I've been two uh, two uh, seasons in Brentford. I've also been coaching Mesbeck, uh, both in Brentford but also in Horsens in Denmark. And like many know that Mesbeck he assisted a, a long throwing goal just the other days a day, and and also in the opener against Arsenal in the start of the season. So and he's been like out for three months. So 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 he probably been assisting many more long throw-ins. Um, so 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 yes, first of all, I, I've been working with with, with Brentford before. Uh, so that's one thing. The second thing is that I think you should be really careful with just saying, okay, now we're looking at some data, and if this data says this, then we have to do, have to do a lot of more about uh, of these things here in a, in a football match. Um, the thing you refer to here is uh, there was another thing also similar, and that was just like long throw-ins versus short throw-ins in, in, uh, at the opponent's penalty area. I saw that on Twitter. I can't remember who wrote it, but, but like the, the, the quote you have and, and the one I saw, they're both like both like saying, oh, it's much better to take a long throw in than to take a short throw in. And and I, I don't necessarily agree because if you're taking a lot of all the throw-ins into the data and just like say, uh, then it's better to do this, then you're not looking at what is the quality of um, you know, the long throw-in. First of all, uh Brentford have had a lot of uh, low quality long throw-ins. Um but they scored on some of them, uh, for example, uh, because Masbeck throws some really high quality ones. Uh, you can also see on, on opposite, uh, opposite that that a lot of teams are also doing really low quality short throw-ins or like I call it clever throw-ins around your the opponent's penalty area. So, so if you want to use like data like this to say, oh, then it's only about taking a lot of long throw-ins, then I think it's it, you're totally wrong. Because it's about, of course, you can take long throw-ins if you want, but for me, it's about, of course, the right tactical approach. But you also want to have, to have a um, a really world-class long throw-in taker like Mess Begab coached, and 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 he's actually the one who threw longest in of my students in in 17 years with a throw of 40.80 meters. Um, wow. So so I think that's the challenge, and and I'm I'm a little bit afraid that when people see that they'll say, oh, let's take a lot of long throw-ins now. 
because we saw that statistic. For example, in Denmark, where I'm coming from, of course, there are a few, uh, you know, world-class long-throwing takers, but there are also a lot of bad long-throwing takers where they're throwing way too short. They can't even throw into the to the small box. And then there's not so so mm. so big of a chance of, of like scoring on that. So, and for me, it destroys the entertainment in football if, first of all, we have too many low quality long throw-ins. And the second thing is that if every club should do it. So I think it's it's really fine that some clubs are, are taking many long throw-ins, nothing there. I've also been coaching several teams who, who was very successful there. Um, but I think it would be a shame, not only, only in the Premier League, but all around the world, if every team would want to throw 10, 12, 15 long throw-ins in each game, that's like 20, 30 all in all. And so, you know, it would destroy the game. It would be way too slow. So, so again, so again, back to your question, I think it's, yes, if you have a world-class throw-in taker, like with Mass Beck and Brentford, if you set the right um, technical setup, um, then it's good, but I think it'll be bad for the game. Then, then some of, some would, would say, "Hey, what should we do instead of a long throw?" And yeah, like I do with my clubs, with Liverpool or Ajax or some of the other ones, we don't take long throw-ins with these clubs towards the opponent's throwing error, uh, sorry, penalty area. We are creating space in many different ways instead, and you can might as well score on that instead. So, um, so, so yeah, it's great with, if you have a world-class long throw-in taker to take long throw-ins. But if you don't have it, I don't think you should do it. Yeah, I think do you I think you make a good point there about it being I mean I guess you could call it throw and taker dependent. Teams like uh, two thousand and ten Stoke had Rory Delap, it was and they scored a lot of goals from long throw ins through that. Um I I think it's quite nice to see uh, a renaissance in the Premier League at least. Um but like you said it I think it can ruin the game. But regarding the 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 tweet you saw and the tweet I saw, I just thought it was quite striking over a sample size of half a season, which is quite decent for Brentford to match 19 other teams uh, in terms of chances being created from long and short throw-ins. I thought that was quite remarkable, but obviously has lots of other moving parts. Um, so were you, you come into a team like Brentford or Mitchelland or Liverpool are there immediately? Is there immediately a blueprint you wanna you wanna put onto the team, or does it vary club to club? Do you uh, have a dossier, say, of of takers and players that are useful off of throw-ins, or do you go in and say, okay, we need to do X, Y, and Z immediately, and then do you work from there? I always have some basics, like you have to learn no matter what, and then it's depending on what kind of playing style you have. And and here I like 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 like. Of course, there are many different playing styles, but 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 to put it short, then I'll say either you're a club who wants to take a lot of long throw-ins, and then I approach the start and the training a little bit different with more focus on long throw-in technique, and so so we can really get good weapons. Or if you are like 70% of my clubs, perhaps, or 80%, clubs who won't like really use the long throw-in as a set-piece weapon, then I'm starting more, more with the basics around... Um, the, the fast and clever throw-ins too, and then building building basics up, and then afterwards specific tools, and then later the the three technical throw-in zone. So so it, it's really depending on what kind of strategy you want to have. But but all in all, I'm I'm like really fitting my coaching into the team. So I'm not only 
I'm talking with, of course, the head coach, assistant coaches, analysis people, physical coaches, so on and so on, you know, to like really, really fit my training in. Of course, I'm talking to the players too, like to to uh, get close to them and so on. And then um, my throwing in the analysis is really important too, because you have to remember that that if we're talking about the corners or free kicks, you know, um, the coaches have a lot of experience in that, even though we recently been seeing a lot of set piece coaches. The assistant coaches have been doing a lot of long, uh, sorry, corners and free kicks themselves, so they're pretty aware of what to do. But but they don't know really what to do around the throw in. So I'm when I'm listening to the the coaches and assistant coaches, they have like no really don't know really what to do. And if they've done something before, it's been really simple and really easy to mark. And so 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 also have to learn learn you know educate the coaches a lot around the subject and so so but i also love that so I'm, I'm not only working on the pitch and doing analysis i'm also doing talks and so for the coaches and for the players so so but again back to your question i'm really trying to fit my coaching into the the playing style and the wishes of the club mm. and do you have to are you are you consulting with the coaches and the assistant coaches on uh potential tactics is there is there a lot of detail you have to go through uh, like you said before, with physios, analysts, etc., before you you go to a right back or left back or whoever the taker is, and then the players surrounding, um, you know, before you before you implement your ideas, you know, are there are there how many moving parts are there? No, it, it's not so complex as it sounds. Even though I'm talking with a lot of people, but of course, the the, the content in the in the, on the training pitch itself, it's more like, you know, that's the head coach, assistant coach or the manager where I'm talking there. And, you know, most of the time they're just listening to me and saying, hey, do what you think you find important right now. But of course, I, I try to listen to them a lot. So that's the training on the pitch. Regarding the analysis, people of the clubs, it's more like, how do I analyze? How do we share videos from the club and things like that? It's it's not really around the coaching on the pitch. And then the physical coach. And so, physiotherapist that's more that's more about the load of the training because if they've had like a really hard training it, it, it's not good if i'm doing a, a five versus five interval game on small goals with throw-ins in every situation because then they're overloaded so it's more like that or if specific individual players have injuries and so you know so so even though you know there are specific things i'm talking with specific people around so so but 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 it's for me. It's like um, I'm, I'm used to talking with a lot of people. I like that because it makes my coaching even better. So um, yeah. Um, I want to talk. So we 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 just spoke about. You might need to talk to physios about uh, load, potential injuries, etc. Is the skill of a a long throw in? Uh, I'm talking about specifically. How much of that can you train, can you work on? Obviously, there's a, a certain point. I can only throw a certain amount, uh, that amount being really not far at all. Luckily, I'm a, I'm a centre-back, so I'm never really having to take. But um, how, how much of a long throw-in can you train physically? Uh, can you train through technique? Uh, you know, for, for example, Madsbeck, Sorensen, how much of that is pure natural ability? Something you just realize one day, oh, wow, I can actually throw it really far. Or how much How much do you think he worked on that? Obviously, I'm sure he's worked on it since you've been coaching him at Brentford. Yeah, you, you can say that. Of course, you sometimes have a 
have a you know a good physical physical ability with explosive fibers or you are really flexible. I think that's the most important physical parameter that you have flexible shoulders. Um, but you can, you can, you know, it doesn't really matter what level you're starting on because of, yes, my Becky started with 34 meters and that's actually already world-class. So that's really, really high level from the start before I was coaching him. Uh, but he improved to 40.80 meters. So it's so over six meters. So that's really, Really long, but but also have other players who've been starting on a really low level, and and um, for example, uh, Andreas Paulsen from uh, FC Midtjylland, who improved from twenty four point twenty five to thirty seven point ninety, almost fourteen meters, or or Mess uh, Dur, who who improved from twenty two point twenty five to to thirty four point fifty, so to, uh, almost twelve and a half meters. So the thing in in football is that. A lot of people and teams and coaches and the players themselves think, if I can make a, do a long throwing, then it's good. We can use it. If I can't, then I can't use it. Or, or if we have one on the team, it's good. If we don't have one, that's a shame. No, you can train it. So, and the most important factor there is is, is technique. It's much much more important than, than physical abilities. Um, so, so there are a lot of clubs where where we, they really want to use the long throw-in if they could, but they have no throw-in take. And that's the big difference between long throw-ins and then corner kicks and free kicks because every football player can, can shoot a ball like 40, 50, 60 meters. That's no problem. But there are only very few football players who from nature can make a world-class long throw-in. But I can learn them that. So, so no matter what club I come to, you know, I can't think of any clubs where I haven't developed world-class long uh, long throw-in takers. So, so that'll also be one of the things I'm I'm writing about in my my book about throw-ins that I'll publish probably in 2022 here. Um, so, so it's a learnable skill, but but people don't think it's it's a learnable skill. People think you're either born with it or you don't have it. No, that's not true. You can learn it like everything uh, everything else in. In, in football so um, yeah and how much uh, for a, for a long throw especially what the use of a run-up how big of it uh, is a factor so for example Mads Beck how, how far can he throw without a run-up and what's the use of it on a on a practical level for a long throw-in I'll say I, I, I haven't really measured without any running because that's not like relevant for me, yes, of course. If if you played if you played on a pitch with no running, uh, it would. But but there are at least a, a few meters on every pitch, depending on on how it how it looks. Um, and of course, if you are, it's it's pretty difficult to like like say every time you play away, you have to try to change your running to to that specific length. But I normally recommend that first of all you. You learn, or I do that in training. Learn to take it a, a throwing with a full run in, and then let's say you have three meters and fifty on the short side on on your home pitch. Then you try to de develop a, a run in from from three meters and fifty, and perhaps it, it fits just like perfectly if you're starting from three meters exactly. You know, so of course you, if you have two and a half meter run in, you throw a little bit shorter than. And if you have six meters running, like you have many places um, on the same side of the camera, and so so of course, but you then you just have to like like try to to time your running, and so 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 yes, um, 
the running is, is one of the, the three main factors uh, when I'm coaching the players, uh, long throw in technique, I'm working with 30 different technical parameters there. So, so, and doing video analysis too. So, um, so again, it, it's a learnable skill. Yeah. Mm. What, are, what would you say are some of the challenges you face from, from players, especially, but also coaches, clubs, when you're trying to implement ideas, uh, when you're talking to the players and, and trying to teach, learn, uh, Apologies. Teach them techniques. What are the most common challenges? Uh, not not just technically, but psychologically as well. I think generally, yeah, there's a little, a really big motivation from the players when I'm coaching in the throw-ins because you know all professional football players they're ambitious and they know if at that right now that that throw-ins are are important and, and if they improve that, they could both help them as an individual, but also. As a team, and I'll say, I say my biggest challenge, being a freelance throwing coach, is that I'm not, uh, I don't have so much time with a single team. If I was a, an assistant coach in in one of the big professional clubs, you know, they could learn much much more because we could do throwing coaching uh, every week. And some out there might think, oh, throwing coaching every week, that is isn't that too much? No, because. Uh, 95 of my throwing coaching, that's about space creation. That's about passes, scoring goals and, and getting the feeling of space and t- decision making. And that looks a lot like like normal football coaching. So so I would, would be able to do that, um, you know, every week if I was an assistant coach. Um, so, But I'm not an assistant coach. So, so again, back to your question, that's my biggest challenge that I don't have much time with the teams and... Then I have to like find out how can I use that very little times uh, best as possible. Um, so that's my biggest challenge at the moment. But but again, you know, um, mentioned before, I'm publishing a book about throwings, probably in 22. I'm um, I'm also doing online courses, and there's really really big interest around throwings to get more knowledge. Just I have some some my four best basic throw-in drills on my homepage, somersgrandmark.com. And already now there are more than 6,300 coaches from all around the world who picked, picked the drills up. So there's a lot of interest around being better around the throw-ins as a football coach there. So so I hope my books would, would be um, a way to give even more knowledge than I can at the moment. Yeah, because I think it's a, it's a world... A lot of coaches, a lot of people who who love football haven't really tapped into. I've certainly enjoyed like, over the over the last forty minutes learning about it. It's, it's been fascinating. Um, I think you might know where I'm going when I when I say I want to pull a quote from Arsene Wenger, who is the chief of global football development. He said stats show that eight out of ten throwing uh, situations you lose the ball in your half of the pitch. Uh, in your half of the pitch, you should have the possibility to. Eat possibility to try and take a kick instead what do you think about this obviously Wenger is proposing um, new rule changes in football what would you say if throw-ins were abandoned in your own half of the pitch and kick-ins were able to be taken instead I think that that that's a shame not so much for me um, but more for football because the big challenge, there are two big challenges around kick-ins. You can already be sure now that, that 
if you have a free kick just over the, the midline, there are some teams who want to put all the players up in the opponent's pen chair and then shoot it up there. So you'll for sure have some teams who will just take many more long kick-ins like, like a free kick, you know. And I think that's not entertaining in football. I think most people rather prefer like like the fast game, you know, uh, technical game. And so even though teams can be different. So that's one t- challenge with kick-ins. The next challenge with kick-ins is that if if the kick-ins are made like in, in futsal, where you have to keep distance, like in a free kick, to, to the receiving player of the kick-in, then you'll have a lot of situations that's unpressured. And if you look in every team sport, doesn't matter if it's American football, it's hockey, it's basketball, it's handball, all team sports. What's exciting there is that you are under pressure and then you make some kind of movement to release the pressure and then you like play out of the situation. That's really, really satisfying. If you're looking at futsal, yeah, it, it may be a fascinating game in many ways, but the kick-ins are dead boring, you know? So if you want to put kick-ins into football, we have a lot of unpressured situations there. It's a little bit like the short corner, you know? Uh, I think it's okay with a short corner once in a while, you know, because also normal corners, long corners can be really bad quality. But imagine every corner was taken with, with um, in, in, the, in the short version, then you have no pressure. So, so no matter if, if teams are using the long kick-in version or they're using um, the short kick-in, you know, it'll, it'll be bad for football. But I think it's much, much better that you improve the throw-ins instead and learning the teams how to create space in different ways, you know, because then you can, we are scoring a lot of goals in Liverpool from, from the middle of the pitch or our own um, penalty area sometimes too. So it's about knowing what kind of space creation can you do. And I've also heard that Arsene Wenger, um, he, he was quoted for that, oh, it's, it's really difficult with a throw-in because the opponents are one player more than you inside the pitch. But you, you know, it, it, it just means you have to know what you can do in the different zones and the different areas and how to utilize that. So that's no challenge at all, you know. Um, and the best example is, is Liverpool. So, so I think if football or FIFA ever say, let's do kick-ins, there'll be, you know, there'll be a really, really, really big shame for football. It'll put the quality down. So, um, so, and not because I'm a throwing coach, but I'm, I'm, you know, totally against it. I think it's a lack of knowledge from the people who are deciding it. And, and lack of knowledge around the consequences. It should not be that we don't like throw-ins. It, it should more be like, how, how can we raise the, the quality of the game? Yeah, I think that's that's interesting, trying to weigh up, um, you know, an opponent's team benefit against how, how exciting the game can be. Because I, I was playing today um, just for a, a local team. You played at a very high level. But you'll know when... Uh, when the other team gets a throw in, in in the corner of their own half, you say box them in, box them in, or however you say that in in Danish. Um, but I think I, I'd agree. I'd, I'd really hate to see Burnley just lumping it eighty yards up the pitch uh, from in, you know instead of a throw in happening. Um, I think I think this proposed rule change has come from an increased pressing uh, tactical style from most teams. 
I think there's more pressure on the ball and thus more more times the team with the throne is going to lose possession. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that's quite an interesting take. Can I just take a yeah. note on that? It is, you know, the reason why, let's say you have a throw in uh, around your own penalty area. The reasons why people feel pressure is because they have no solutions. So, you know, they're just trying to hurl it down the line. And of course, there's a big risk of losing the ball. So it means that you'll probably lose the ball somewhere, you know, uh, in the middle of your own half, you know, and then you have like 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 a challenging situation, perhaps a, a, a counter-attack transition there. So, of course, I can understand that's challenging for some people, but, but why not instead of just hurling the ball down the line, why not just, um, you know, trying to see what are the different solutions there? Because you have so many different solutions on, on your own half. So, so it's more about being better throw-ins than, than, than try to to um to put away the challenge that was just an extra thing there yeah i think when so when you're say you're coaching a, a situation uh where the team's pressured in in the corner of their own half is your emphasis on the accuracy of the throw in in order for the first touch or the first pass out to allow the team to move out of pressure um or is your emphasis more on the movement of the players that could potentially receive the throw in uh, their rotations, their positioning, in order to try and get out. Uh, if it's you who has to throw in your own team, or just be, oh uh, yeah, our own team. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like like uh, you can say my emphasis is around everything, you know, because there are no like like real way to do it. There are no real solutions. I'm again, I'm learning my players to. So have a higher throwing intelligence so they can take their own decisions. So we are, of course, we have a lot of things we can do ourselves, but we're also looking at what I call the opponent's defending patterns, you know. First of all, how are they? How are they changing? So it's a little bit like we're we're reading the game. For me, I, I'm often I'm often comparing it to to Tigitaka with, with Barcelona at that time, you know, with Xavi, Iniesta, um Messi. It was not like they said you you go there or we should go there or go there. No, they played a lot of rundos, they play a lot of small side games and other things. So they have millions of ways to play in that in that uh, midfield and attack there. And it's a little bit the same with my throwing strategy, uh, long, fast, and clever throwing philosophy. There, it's like there are no like ways we do it, but we have a lot of general ways we can do it, and then these general ways can evolve in so many different ways. So. So, so for me, it's about it's about um, you know reading the game, but you can only do it if you're educated. If I'm saying to an uneducated uh, team regarding throw-ins that oh, just read the game, read what they'll say, uh, mm. <laughs> and then they don't know what we're talking about. So, so, so I'm starting like from scratch, from basics. You have to know, you have to learn how to create space before you can make team space creation. You can just you can't just say to a team, hey run there, there and there. Yeah, you can do it. But hey, uh, they won't do it properly. That's one thing. And if the opponents are marking them really well or it's been red, you know, then they're in really big challenges. So, so, um, so yes, for me, it's more about learning my teams to, to read the options and, and then try to take the, the you know, the, the best options there. And it's really important for me to say that even though I moved Liverpool uh, from number 18 on throw-ins under pressure with a possession of 45.4% to 
to number one in the Premier League and throw in some of the pressure with a possession of 68.4%. The team, like in that season, still lost. We still lost the ball in, in 31.6%. So it's not like it's not not like perfectionism. We can't lose the ball, but but it, of course it's 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 much better to to have it uh, seven out of ten than four out of ten. And again, that was just the attacking throw-ins. The defending throw-ins, that's like half of, of my work, you know, because often with Liverpool, we are putting the opponents down to, to 30, 40% possession. We had a couple of games where, where we put the, the, the opponents down to 12.5% possession. And that's because we are we are working with pressure and marking and and team marking and, and so, so. So and especially when we meet a team who have no strategy, who just hurls the ball down the line, it's it's really good for us. So um, so there is no right way of of attacking keep possession, but you have to for me read the game after you have learned all the, the basics. Yeah, congratulations on, on getting to number one. I wanna I wanna end with just a few more a bit more trivial, a bit less serious questions. Um I want to ask firstly, I'm a I'm an Arsenal fan and I'm not here to call out Hector Bellerin, but I think you'll know he committed a serious number of, of foul throws uh, last season, something like four or five, um, which is four or five too many. When you see, uh, if you're watching any game and you see a foul throw or especially a team that you've done coaching with, what what's your reaction to that? You know, I have no prop. I have no problem with that at all, and um, and and that might sound strange, but of course they they should be able to do a a, a legal throw in proper proper throw in. But but the funny thing is that when he took these foul throw ins, you know, the internet exploded. But hey, you should worry much more about if your team are losing possession on a throw in. You know, <laughs> you know. So that's the funny side because if you don't. If you don't have so much knowledge around what happens, how much you lose position, what you do right, what you do wrong, you're looking at the obvious things. And of course, it's obvious if you do a foul throw-in, you've either been doing a bad throw-in or the, the referee have like <laughs> made a, a mistake like, like a referee also often do. So, so, you know, I don't care about foul throw-ins. Of course, if every second throw-in was a foul throw-in, but it, it, it doesn't happen really often. As a, as a fan, also as an Arsenal fan, uh, from your point of view, I would be much more worried if my team lost possession on throw-ins than 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 players doing foul throw-ins. So again, back to your question, I think foul throw-ins, yes, they should be better, but they're taking way too much, um, you know, time and focus on 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 social media because the relevance is is and influence is very very low. Mm. But would you argue? Albeit it's one every however many games, but if you do take a foul throw, then you are essentially losing possession before you've even got the chance to try and keep it from a throw in, if you know what I mean. Yeah, of course yeah, of course. I, I of course it's not good to do a foul throw in. Uh and and yes, you lose possession. I'll just say that you know, uh I, I don't have the numbers, of course. But let's let's just say that that uh, let's in Arsenal. Uh, I don't have the percentage again, but let's just say that fifty percent of the talks around throw-ins in Arsenal by the fan media 
or by the fans was 50% of the discussion was around foul throw-ins. But you may have like foul throw-ins in 0.02% of, of, of the occasions, you know. I, I, I don't have the numbers, but just to tell you, you know, of course it's it's important not to do a foul throw-in, but <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's ridiculous small challenge compared to losing possession on throw-ins or the opponents are always keeping it, you know. So that's just my uh, take on that. Mm. Yeah, I, def- I wasn't expecting that, but I think that's quite a that's quite a nice way of looking at it. Um, do you have a a favorite throw-in, like specific uh, throw-in throw-in routine or goal from a throw-in like of all time? One that you look at on YouTube and you're like, oh my god, this is beautiful. Oh, I just, just in general, of course, there are some a lot of Liverpool goals after throw-ins, and I, again, we the last four seasons we've scored between ten and fourteen goals after throw-in situations every season. So there's a lot of good ones there. But for me, it's just it's just like um, I just as much like like enjoy some specific kind of space creation. I also enjoy when we defend really well, communicate or reacting fast on the defending throw-ins. That's just like give me as much joy as a throwing coach. But of course, when we when we score a throwing goal and, and the media says, oh, another throwing goal from Liverpool, then it's cough feels good and gives a lot of attention. But it might as well be be the smaller things sort or of the things that, that other people don't see that I enjoy. So I don't have any specific favorite ones. Mm. Fair enough. But I, I can imagine hours and, and hours of or years uh, you know, almost decades of of work. You know, just to get the goal, I can I can imagine that brings a lot of joy, um, a lot of deserved joy. Uh, I want to end it on on the final question, which is a recurring segment uh, on this podcast. Past or present, any players? It's up to you, Thomas. What's your all time five aside team? Oh, <laughs> that was really challenging. I, I mentioned. Um... I mentioned Michael Laudrup before from Denmark. He was yes. uh, like elegant player too, of course, world-class, of course, won the, the La Liga both with Barcelona and Real Madrid. Not many players have done that, especially also because the, the move between the clubs wasn't <laughs> what, what wasn't perhaps the best, at least in some people's eyes. So Michael Laudrup was in there. Uh, let me see. Uh, I think we have to have a... Diego Maradona in there too. Um, Not bad. Yeah. Um, we have to have, let's see, we have to have a goalie too. Um, mm. I have to, um, yeah, let's see who, who that could be. Of course, it could be. Um, You're two pre- uh, you two pretty good Danish goalkeepers in the play- from the past. Yeah, it could be, it could be uh, perhaps Peter Smigel. At least he, um, yeah, you know, he uh, he won a lot with with Man United there. And let's see, we have some, we have to have uh, someone to defend the goal too, because we can't only have Loudrops and and Maradonas, uh, or we we concede too much. So um, let me just, um, yeah, we we'll just put, uh, I think we'll put Winnie Jones down there in central defense. Oh. Yeah, and and he shouldn't touch the ball. Just scare the opponents, so they will they'll yeah. only shoot from their own half. So <laughs> we'll 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 put in the 
we'll put in uh, Winnie Jones there, and uh, then we'll we, we have to have a midfielder. What midfielder should it be? Um, one of my should we take a striker more? It should be an old one. Um, let's just put a Pele in there. Let's put Pele. <laughs> Pele Maradona. Then we have three really attacking players. One uh, fearless central defender, a really good goalie. That that must be it, yeah. Mm. Not a lot of balance, but I think the the attackers will will sort that out. Pierre Schmeichel, Vinnie Jones, Laudrup, Pele, Maradona. That's not bad. I don't know how the how the personalities of Maradona and Vinnie Jones would would work in the dressing room. That we'd have to see for that, but. That's a that's a great team. Um, yeah, Thomas, thank you so much for for coming on. It's it's been really really fascinating to talk to you to learn so much. Um, we we had trouble setting this up uh, before, and I apologise. And Thomas said it's fine. We can we can just learn from it. Uh, and I've certainly learned a lot from from talking to you. Uh, I think. The work, the work you've done over the years, with Liverpool especially, I think you deserve all the all the success you've gotten from throwing specifically, but also the league and the Champions League. Uh, even as an Arsenal fan, it's it's really nice to see. So, you know, well well done because you're doing amazing things, and I hope uh, you get a lot of success from from the book you look to release as well. So, thanks thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot. You are absolutely welcome. Have a great day. You too, Thomas. Uh, Be sure to share, uh, review this podcast. uh, And yeah, take care. Ciao.